Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Please consider doing me a favor and pre-ordering my new book uh, from Coach House Books, The National Gallery. Uh, it contains sonnets for Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies in the manner of Rilke, but for a dead iPhone, uh, and other strange missives from yours truly, the poet laureate of hell. So go to thenationalgallery.ca for more information. That's thenationalgallery.ca. Thanks. So I'm here with uh, in a haunted house on Friday the 13th with a full moon. <laughs> it seems unwise, but there I am. And even more unwise than I are the other uh, writers with me who are going to stay overnight in the haunted house. Uh, this is for Phantasmagoriana 2 uh, at the Thin Air uh, Winnipeg Writers Festival, Winnipeg International Writers Festival. Uh, and... Uh, I just want to kind of maybe start with asking, you know, all, all of you who are gathered here uh, for your, to kind of record your last, you know, will and testament. <laughs> um, why have you come to this haunted house? You know, who are you and why have you come to this haunted house? Uh, you know, what, what do you hope to accomplish here? Let me just start with, uh, with you, Jess. Sure. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I am Jess Landry. I hope to survive the evening um, with everything intact. That would be great. Um, the The draw for coming here is to write a story, but also to spend the night in a haunted house, allegedly. I would love to see some ghosts, find some ghosts. Maybe things will move. Maybe pictures will shatter. Who knows? So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm Adam Petrash, and uh, what I'm most looking forward to is spending the night in this haunted house, because it's kind of like a bucket list item. It's what all good horror movies are made out of. <laughs> um, but kind of come away with uh, a lot of inspiration, not just for the story that I need for this limited edition chapbook, but possibly f- more future stories, a few, in the bucket. My name is J.H. Moncrief. I'm, of course, hoping to see something spooky or paranormal at some point, because that's how I roll, and it's always inspiring. But I also find it great to connect with other dark fiction writers, because I find that's something that's really lacking in Winnipeg, and quite often we'll meet each other and go, wow, you do this too? Really? I didn't know you existed. So it's really great to have a chance to sort of form our community and get to know people a bit better. And I'm David Demchuk, and uh, I'm originally from Winnipeg, now living in Toronto, and for me it was a great opportunity to come back to Winnipeg to, uh, to spend um, a night in a, in a haunted house I was unfamiliar with. I didn't realize there was one here, and, uh, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's a wonderful museum as well. Uh, and uh, I haven't had a lot of opportunity lately to uh, concentrate on short fiction. I've mostly been working on longer pieces, and so this was um, a chance for me to sort of goose that in a particular direction um, and uh, and see what here would inspire me, see what uh, objects would be in the place. Um, there's some extraordinary things here 
um, and have uh, the opportunity to have somebody explain what some of these things are, where they came from, uh, what life was like um, for people in the Victorian era in a way that we that's more than what we observe in film and television. Um, but just to be able to immerse myself in that, I think it's really cool. And J.H., you had mentioned, you know, you don't feel like the dark fiction writers in Winnipeg maybe have as much of a community as you'd like. I find that's true generally, but also here specifically. And I wonder about that a little bit, you know, sometimes. I, I always, my joke to, to people always is that I, I, I think I'm a horror writer, but nobody agrees with me. <laughs> um, you know, they see me as a writer of experimental fiction or just literary fiction or whatever. But I always think of everything I do as like horror. And I think to me, like part of that, uh, it's a weird time to be a person who, you know, has is interested in horror, I think, because there's this kind of new respectability that horror is starting to accrue, uh, particularly in film culture which kind of frustrates me, to be honest. But I'm curious to know, like, what you think of this new, you know, phase where horror kind of seems to be pendulum swimming back around into vague respectability. <laughs> whether you think it's... What you think of it, or whether you think it's, you know, real, or <laughs> how long it might be here. It's a, it's a fascinating, strange cultural, you know, swing to me now where people are, you know, writing columns about how has horror finally, you know, come <laughs> yeah, into its exactly. own, and you're like, what? What are you talking about? You know, horror's been here, you know, since the dawn of time. Since Gilgamesh, you know, <laughs> we've been dealing with the monsters. Uh, anyway, I was just curious if you could, t- maybe, if anyone, can, but maybe you could start, J.H., to just talk a bit more about that kind of community of horror uh, writers and what you kind of think is, you know, the challenge of having that uh, or, or, or strengthening it, especially in, you know, this weird moment in the culture where maybe horror is shifting around. Okay. Um, it's a big I've, question, I know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I actually have the opposite problem to you. I'm trying to not be billed as a horror writer because I write mm. other types of dark fiction and people are like, J.H. Moncrief, horror writer. I'm like, no! J.H. Moncrief, dark fiction, because I I write mystery and primarily supernatural suspense, but somehow that horror tag got stuck to me and I cannot get rid of it. Um, My agent is really trying to bill me as thriller, psychological thriller with dark undertones. How's that for a marketing spin? (laughs) (laughs) I talked to Hiromi Goto, who is writing... She's like, they're calling it dark fantasy, but it's just horror. It's horror. I know. Yeah. That's one thing that's really frustrated me. Like, one of the best selling horror books of recent times is Gone Girl. And that mm-hmm. wasn't, you talk to people, they're like, oh no, that was a thriller, that was suspense. I'm like, are you kidding me? Read the end of that book, that is horror. Yeah. It's complete horror, but it's considered to be, people still think, especially in the literary world, that if it says horror, it won't sell. Yeah. And I just want, I'm hoping that the movies will propel us forward and get rid of that stigma and get rid of that idea that if it's too dark, it won't sell, because people love to be scared. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Anyways, I'm, I'm hoping that the movies will start push us because even though Get Out and all of those movies are doing so well, it still hasn't quite trickled to the literary scene yet, which is why my agent is doing that. Instead of calling me a horror writer, she's like thriller first and then we'll sneak the horror in and hope no one notices. <laughs> They'll just like it. You know, but, but that is still a very real stigma for sure. Totally. Just your, your bio is, mentions, you know, 
has a line in it around about you, know, you hope your daughter will start liking horror. But if not, you know, you may have to disown her. Yeah. I, my, my daughter is you know almost twenty now, and she never she's just terrified so badly of horror. <laughs> can't get into it, doesn't want to see it. And I always say, but you're the best audience for horror. Right? <laughs> and yeah. so it's, it's this weird paradox, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the people who are really like truly like it, affected by it, yeah, you know, they, they just close themselves to it. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, I guess, um, in, in general, you know, to, whether you, you know, you, you think you're a horror writer or just a writer of dark fiction or whatever, mm-hmm. um, what do you think of the labeling and like the cultural attitude towards horror i'm good with it i I like the title horror writer um i feel like there is a stigma that is attached to it but like we've just mentioned it's certainly it's getting better it's getting there but there's still a lot of work to do and i think those movies like midsummer and hereditary and get out and us are certainly helping the cause for a bit and it's interesting to see that shift because i feel like it comes in waves You know, like there will be a time when, like right now, when that literary horror is on the upward swing, but then it'll kind of go back down again and then it'll come back up with something else. Like a few years ago, it was zombies and now it's, yeah, smart horror, if you will. I'm doing air quotes, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Smart horror. High genre. Exactly. Elevated. Mm -hmm. But it's just the same old stuff. You know, it's just there's a new audience. And I think as people get older, they are more receptive almost to these new horrors because it's also a political thing too, like just the state of the world right now. People need and want that escape and horror is like the best escape from that because it's terrifying, but at least at the end of the day, it's not real in a way. Some of it kind of is, but it isn't. So you can still go home and tuck yourself in at night. But hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, we'll be able to do that tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, it's like it, it's on the upward swing, I think, and it's all good. Horror is also, I think, the best commentary on social and political yeah. things, and always has been mm-hmm. um, um, back through the ages uh, for what's going on in the world today and what people's anxieties are. Um, it was funny, um, my and weird. My book uh, was being taught uh, to a class at NYU. So I went to New York to visit them. <laughs> and uh, and they were delighted to see me. A lot of them were um, older women. And uh, and I and it was it was taught in a, cl- a course called the novel today, and it was embarrassing who it was being taught alongside. <laughs> um, so I was mortified through the whole thing. But but the first thing I asked was, and there were about twenty five of them in the room. I said, so of course this is a horror novel, and they at several faces just immediately it was <laughs> like you know I had said the shocking word right, and I said so how many of you have read a horror novel? Not one person had read a horror novel before. And I said, well, you've read one now, because that is absolutely what it is. And if you're surprised to hear that, you'll also be surprised to know there are many, many, many other fine horror novels, finer than mine, that you could be reading and, you know, and enjoying. This this is absolutely a way of seeing literature, and it's absolutely a way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, part of, part of it is that... 
it's marketing, obviously. Horror is a marketing label and um, and can be applied to a variety of things, from the dark fantasy that you describe, or or supernatural, or or paranormal suspense, or or Gone Girl. Uh, they, it's shorthand for a whole bunch of emotions. It serves as a kind of a warning label for some people, but the problem is it puts some people off who might actually, in fact, enjoy our work. Because they just immediately think, oh, it's like a schlocky 50s black and white thing that I saw when I was 12. That's what horror is. Mm -hmm. Or it's something where, you know, the mass killer is stabbing people in the face. Well, I don't like that. They don't realize that there's much more to horror than, than just really rudimentary tropes. Yeah. Adam said something earlier when, uh, after the reading that you all gave, uh, which is, you, you, you know, say that again, maybe? <laughs> like, you're talking about horror and how... You have to pick. <laughs> <laughs> A lot was said. <laughs> well, you were talking about how, why you were so interested in writing, you know, more darker material. You, you said something along the lines of, well, it, bringing that fantasy element in lets you ask harder questions, and yet it's easy to digest in a way. I'm curious if we could maybe expand on that idea. So if I were to write a story and it was, let's say, traditional literary fiction, can lit, and I was following on those dark themes, people would be like, no, I can't read that, right? But by bringing in a fantastical element, I think it kind of makes this bridge between the things. So like when I was saying like earlier where it, like, it makes it more digestible, sometimes not, depending like how dark you want to get um for me i really like playing with all those dark emotions um because it's just what i'm drawn to right so i don't know do you find that it is just something you're drawn to then like or do you make uh, like a choice at some point, like like I was always drawn to it, but I, at a certain point I made a choice. Like I'm going to pursue this more because my true interest is experimentation, and I feel that horror is the most ex- the genre you can experiment the most, and the audience will accept it. The audience is primed to take extreme material. It's primed for surrealism. It's primed for a whole uh, literary and film tradition has prepared the audience to take any crazy wild thing they, they want the craziest wildest most extreme mm-hmm. thing and that I think extends even into um, the structure of the story mm-hmm. and like playing with characters uh, and identity instability mm-hmm. and all sorts of like experiment to me horror is the most interesting experimental art form uh, and in, yeah, in, in the that. cinema you don't need a star. You, you can mm-hmm. do a lot of things that you couldn't maybe you I mean, do for, otherwise. For me personally, I don't think it was a conscious choice. Like, I was just drawn to it initially, and then it was more of just, like, I'm accepting this. This, this, <laughs> this, is, how I, this is how I write. This is where I'm at home, right? This is what I want to write. Like, my wife always says to me, she's like, why is everything so dark? <laughs> because that's how it has to be. That's the story that's coming out of me, right? Mm-hmm. And... I agree with you with experimenting with different forms and stuff and it's just it is the most exciting genre to write in in my personal opinion Mm -hmm. David you were talking about kind of almost feeling um, 
resistant to, or at least like that other people were resistant to the idea of you working in horror. Oh yeah. And, and even now there are any number of people who will use any other word, any other word besides horror to, to try to describe the book. And I go, no, it's horror. And it's, and it's hilarious having that kind of conversation. But as you pointed out, I mean, bone mother has a very, um, unusual structure. And it is not a structure that I would have easily been able to get away with in in any other aspect of Canadian literature. Just it just would not have happened. Um, the fact that I went into it uh, as horror, that I was working with fairy tales uh, and folklore as the basis, um, was what made the experimentation in the book possible. And it made it possible for me too, because the entire time that I was that I was writing it, I was thinking, how can, how can I twist this, turn this, move this in this way? It's like a Rubik's cube. And uh, what elements can I introduce that are going to shock and surprise the reader? Not necessarily in a visceral way, although there's some of that, but in terms of um, storytelling. And uh, because I think that readers in general are wanting fresh experiences. Um, from us and horror writers in particular are wanting fresh experiences from us because they are familiar with all of the other stuff. One of the things that is a challenge for horror readers, uh, they are so well read. They are so, they have seen all the movies. They have watched all the TV shows. They know the names of obscure things from 1963. They, you know, they can do, you know, a feminist analysis of something that was done in 1947. They, uh, they can, they can, they know Mexican horror movies, they know Latin American horror movies, they know you know horror movies from, from Asia and Indonesia, they know all the material, they know all the manga, they know everything. So you come to that and it's kind of intimidating, but they don't know you. And so all you have to bring, which is the right thing to bring, is yourself. And that and they welcome that. That's the freshness they welcome, and that's the challenge that's really great to meet. Um, I wouldn't, now, I wouldn't really want to work in any other genre. I'm tremendously happy doing the stuff I do. You were telling me before about, you know, a story in which you're, you know, getting getting some resistance for a story in which, you know, the characters are kind of being established early, but you really are not figuring out who the core character is going to be in the story until maybe halfway through. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to me to like to hear that because, of course, that's the normal structure for the slasher film. Well, and in fact, the slasher film is the structure that, that my book doesn't look at all like a slasher film until the moment where you think to yourself, oh, this is like a slasher movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the people, you know, who approach it from a literary perspective are, are, are like, oh, you know, we, you just can't do that. And it's like, I am sorry, I can draw like... 50 things that all work from this and you know and the and the protagonist that's revealed in the middle is for all intents and purposes a final girl at the end of the book and uh, and in fact the book requires a final girl because of the way that things are set up the other nightmare about this book is interspersed between the sections uh, that happen over various decades are essays by me about my experience with horror, my experience with anxiety, my experience with disability, my experience with queerness, and the number of people who are not horror people who go, 
oh, well, that's no one. No one wants this. No one wants to buy this. No one. Who? What is this? That's Henry Fielding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Used to do in the no- early days the novel. Exactly. Whereas the horror people are like, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> what an interesting idea. Because the horror people are right there for for experimental approaches to narrative. They are right there. Now that you were just talking about the new book you're working on, not yeah. not the Bone Mother. Would, not uh, the Bone Mother. Bone Mother has its own. <laughs> Yeah, but this kind of something you said just earlier brings me to another thing I wanted to ask you all about, which is you're talking about you know going to folklore for some of these you know for in the Bone Mother for some of these monsters and these ideas, um, and I'm I'm very I get a lot of questions from people about how to doing research, um, and it strikes me often that uh, it's I'm curious to know your thoughts uh, on doing research for supernatural. Uh, like fantasy-based, kind of unrealistic um, fiction, because often people, I find people they kind of know how to do some level of research for, say, literary realism, but even that they're kind of sometimes fuzzy on. But people seem really lost. I find when they're trying to write a supernatural story, and I'm trying to tell them, "You got to do more research." <laughs> they, they don't even know what <laughs> I'm talking about or where to start. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on like how, how do you approach research and like. What do you think kind of research brings? Because part of the reason you're here in the Downriver House, I assume, is you know for the, for the research angle of it. You know, here's a museum like this for people listening. This is a house, uh, an old Victorian you know mansion, I guess, like small minor house, minor mansion slash house that has been you know kind of restored as much as possible to you know, like how it would have been in in the Victorian you know era when the house was you know an, an active living space uh, and. Uh, so you know we're really when, when we say they're staying sleeping overnight in a haunted house like it, it looks like a haunted house <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you walk downstairs and it looks like you're in the you know Victorian age it's cleaner it's cleaner. <laughs> it doesn't stink it doesn't stink like a window. there are no rats on the street <laughs> no <laughs> that we know of <laughs> But, but what's the appeal of like staying at the house and also in that kind of research sense? I think research is super important, especially if you're doing something that people know in a way. They don't have to know it well, but you have to kind of get to know it in a sense that nobody else really does. You have to go deeper and you have to think of things that normal people wouldn't necessarily think of. And... Yeah, just like one of my stories I was talking about earlier, I, I wrote a story about the Hindenburg, and I don't know nothing about the Hindenburg, so what did I do? I watched a movie about mm-hmm. it with, like, George C. Scott, I think, from the 70s, and I I just went on Wikipedia like crazy, and I'm now a Hindenburg expert. So if you need to know anything <laughs> about it, I got you covered. Perfect. But, yeah, you just have to go to levels that normal people would probably think are extreme to figure out not just like the top level of what you want to write about but everything that's so much deeper you approach supernatural um research like do you use you you were jh you were talking about going to this crazy island that no one is allowed to go to can you talk a little bit about that research trip um, yeah, actually, I, what I try to do, and people kind of expect it now because I write a blog about mysterious places and haunted things, and so whenever I've got a trip planned, uh, writing or not, I try to find something haunted in the area, 
and someone had sent this, hey, look, uh, most haunted island in the world. And it just happened to be, I was going to Italy, and it just happened to be off the coast of Venice. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm ending my trip in Venice now. And trying to get there was, uh, can I say this? It was a bitch trying to get there. Mm-hmm. It was not easy. Um, it was my birthday. I got stood up by the first, it was a tour group that was supposed to pick me up and then just drop me off on that island and mm-hmm. never come back. And they didn't show up. So I spent 100 euros to get there and to be stood up. So I don't know if any of you have been to Venice, but it's hell to navigate. Managed to find my way back to the hotel, tried it again, and a water taxi driver actually took me there right before, another 100 euros, <laughs> right before we get there. Like right when we're approaching the island, you can see there's all these uh, stories about this evil doctor who performed unethical experiments on people, and there's a tower and he apparently died by jumping from this tower. But mm-hmm. did he jump? Was he pushed? There's all these stories about ghosts killed him. You don't know. So the first thing you see is this tower looming of the gray sky. And I just started to feel this really strong sense of foreboding. Like, oh, shit, what the hell did I do? Like, why did I sign up for this? And as the guy pulled up, and I swear this is true, pulled up to the island and he said, you realize you are alone on this island. (laughs) And as soon as he said that, kaboom, the skies just opened. And there was like this massive thunderstorm. So I didn't even have a chance to go, should I go in the condemned creepy haunted building? (laughs) I had to run for it. Like I just had to run in one of those buildings. And Mm -hmm. it's like the entire time I was there, my shoulders were up around my ears. It was absolutely terrifying. And I'm not easy to scare. But that whole time I was there, I was like seriously talking to myself going, you're okay. You're okay. We're fine. We're fine. You're okay. What was that noise? I'm not going to think about it. I keep going. But yeah, it was something else. And so dark. Uh, it was four o'clock in the afternoon when I went there. It should have been nice and light and, and sunny. But uh, because all of the windows are blocked off either by boards or by nature, the trees growing through them, mm. it was pitch black. And I didn't think to bring a flashlight because never thought it would be black so I was actually using my cell phone mm-hmm. as light or my camera actually my camera I didn't have a cell at the time so I had no communication with the outside world I was using my camera as light and every time I did the flash I pictured those horror movies where something jumps up <laughs> oh it was yeah it was like the scaredest I've ever been for sure readers this is what we do for you <laughs> yes <laughs> yes especially yeah when you do the flash and you see a big hole in the uh, floor right in front of you that you yeah. almost walked in you're like oh <laughs> How do you use that kind of thing? You were talking, David, about, um, again, kind of getting these, um, going into folklore. So is that like a process where you're, you know, doing these like standard research things? Or is there something specific that you're looking for when you're kind of looking, you know, at this folklore? Um, Well, for the Bone Mother, uh, one of the things that I was aware of is that there's always somebody out there who knows more than you do. So you always have to either try to know as much as they do or try to know things that are at least going to sort of match up with what they know. And if you make certain choices to deviate away from from sort of the the common knowledge, then then you're doing that deliberately because you're wanting to achieve a particular effect. Because otherwise, you're going to get someone who's going. Well, you know, Baba Yaga, the house she's in, it's on a chicken leg, and your Baba Yaga was not on a chicken. It's like, yeah, I know, <laughs> and that's why I did this, you know. And so you have to own whatever it is you're doing. Um, but I mean, part of the research 
is for the reader, obviously, um, because the reader has to believe that what you're saying has an element of veracity to it so that they can lose themselves in the material. And a lot of it is for you because you need that too. In fact, you need that in order to be able to give that to the reader. So when I, when I sit down and I research a particular creature, um, I'll give an example from the new book. Um, I have uh, something that's known as a Bargast, uh, which is also a black shuck. And basically, it's like a big devil dog. They are common among uh, several um, uh, mythologies uh, with different names, different approaches. And then it becomes a question of, well, what is the particular monster that I have? Is it part of any of these? Does it have characteristics of all of these? And what are the things that I want to imbue it with? that are specific to my narrative. Uh, but if you if you just sit there and go, oh, I'm just going to make stuff up, people know instinctively when they're reading your work, oh, well, there's no continuity here. There's no consistency. Uh, why would I ever trust in or believe in this particular creature? It's just a piece of tissue paper. What you want to do is you want to go much deeper than that. And 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 that's where the, the value of, of really good research comes in. And some of that is, I mean, as straightforward as looking on Wikipedia, Googling things. Some of it is going into the library and going into old book sections. Some of it is looking at stuff that's out of print. Some of it is is comparing uh, pieces of information uh, from across, in my case, from across mythologies to, to try to get a sense of what I want to do with it. Um, but it's, I mean, research is tremendously valuable, and particularly research for things where that you can see with your own eyes, that you can touch with your own hands, that you can surround yourself with, so that, that you can create that sensation for people who are reading your work. I'm going to ask just one last question for for all of you uh, to answer before I let you go explore this house, which is um, just a craft question uh, in terms of like how you're going to deal with this space. So like, what's your plan? You know, what's your plan for trying to you know write a story or come up with a story and write it? Either you know get started on it tonight, maybe finish it, or maybe you know in the next two weeks you've got this. You know, you're going to write a story here at Phantasmagoria too. Uh, what's your plan? Are you coming in with, you know, something, with nothing, with, uh, you know, a, a procedure that you're kind of leading yourself towards? Like, how do you prepare yourself for, you know, the night in the haunted house? Maybe just, you know, ask each of you, uh, you know, just as a last kind of wrap-up before I let you get started on your plan. <laughs> just going to see where inspiration strikes, I think, because kind of came in with an idea but then being in the house with the ghosts maybe something else will strike and yeah like I we're we're pretty I'm sure we're pretty excited to go explore and see what this is all about David and I I think are excited to go to the basement mm. <laughs> see what's going on down there because <laughs> the basement's where all the secrets are but yeah just getting a feel for the house and then seeing seeing what happens who knows for me, I have a concept and a kind of vague idea of what I want to do that I think will actually fit within the structure of this house. But for me, it'll be fun to explore and kind of get to the details and like really make that story come to life with exploring and the stuff that I wouldn't get had I not been here. So I'm looking forward to it. 
I really wanted to come up with a concept. I would actually walk around going, think of a ghost story, think of a ghost story, think of a ghost story. <laughs> but that's not how I work. So I'm hoping as some character will come to me while I'm here. I'm hoping something, some person will appear and uh, start telling me their story. That's what I'm hoping. And with the Bone Mother, I worked uh, with photographs as prompts for each of the characters and, uh, and uh, had quite a bit of success with that. Um, so I, 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 came, I too came with an idea in my back pocket, which was sort of like, you know, break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> but, uh, but I wanted to be open to possibilities while I was here. There are definitely rooms that I have in mind, in my agenda, that I want to visit and that I want to sort of explore. The basement is absolutely on that <laughs> list. Uh, the nursery is on that list. Um, and uh, But also, you know, looking at images, looking at objects, um, trying to get as much of a sense of, from them as I can of who the people were who were connected with them and why they're in the house and, and what their meaning is. Um, that, I think that's useful not only for, for this experience, but for a, a whole host of experiences. You know, um, Anything set in the Victorian era, and particularly in Canada, um, would benefit from you know, those kinds of details. So, um, so I'm keen to dig in and start finding that stuff. Well, thanks uh, so much to all you for talking to me. And, uh, if you're listening and you go to writingtherongway.com, I'll link to all of uh, these authors' websites and also to their obituaries. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening and keep writing the wrong way. Thanks for listening. I want to mention a few events that are coming up. Uh, If you happen to be in Winnipeg, uh, J.H. Moncrief, who uh, you just listened to, among others, in this episode, is doing two events in October uh, coming up. One is at the library, at the Millennium Library in Winnipeg. Uh, They're going to be showing a ghost story film called The Others, which is a really interesting uh, film that I I recommend, Uh, uh, a horror Filmmaker David Zellis uh, will be there. Uh, you know, I remember working with Zellis back in the Winnipeg Film Group uh, days when I was kind of involved making films around that group. And Zellis made some really interesting. Uh, he made a great film about zombie cannibalism, uh, cannibalism, uh, new taste and style. Uh, so Zellis is really interesting. You know, cat that you should go hear talk to J.H. Moncrief uh, after watching The Others. So uh, that'll be a really fun event that's happening at the Millennium Library on October 26th. And then Moncrief is also doing a event at McNally Robinson Grant Park, uh, which is a book launch. That's on October 30th uh, at 7 p.m. in the atrium. Uh, the Red Robe Women Drum Society singers will also be f- performing there, and she'll be uh, interviewed by Lisa Saunders, uh, local media personality. So that's October 30th uh, in McNally Robinson. Again, get your J.H. Moncrief fix at either of those events. And then, of course, uh, you just heard the writers uh, talk about the stories they're working on at the Dalinever House. Uh, they stayed overnight there getting inspired. They all managed to survive, unfortunately. Um, so it won't be, you know, no sort of tales uh, of true life crime uh, slash supernatural. But, uh, you know, f- new tales by those authors will be premiered at the launch of Phantasmagoriana 2, the chapbook. So go to the Downriver House 
on Halloween, October 31st, uh, Downover House uh, in Winnipeg. This is part, uh, again, of the Thin Air Winnipeg International Writers Festival. So go to thinairwinnipeg.ca. You can get more information about the festival uh, and all sorts of things that are happening. Again, if you're in Winnipeg, you should be checking out the festival, which is on uh, now. Uh, And you should also be uh, just generally looking forward to Halloween and those great October events. So again, Halloween, Dalinavers House presents these authors uh, you just heard from uh, premiering their new stories uh, with the launch of the Phantasmagoriana 2 chapbook. So do check that out if you live in Winnipeg. Uh, and if you don't live in Winnipeg, you know, uh, well, at least you got to listen to this podcast. <laughs>